0: But as I mentioned to the kids, you may remember, and I just want to give some background about who James was. Uh, James was Jesus's brother. Uh, Now James, um, there's some dynamics of James that I want you to be sure to know about, because James didn't always believe that Jesus was the Son of God, going to be the hope, the Savior. He didn't always believe that. In fact, in Mark chapter 3, James and some of his brothers are outside of a place, and they say he is out of his mind. I mean, you can kind of understand that, right? You grew up with some brothers and sisters, and of all the things they thought about you, probably being God was not one of them. All the things you said to each other, you saying, oh, you are God, was not one of them. Well, James, at one point, kind of thought Jesus was out of his mind. But then James is there when Jesus is killed on a cross. And it tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus, after he resurrected and he appeared to the 500, it says there in chapter 15, verse 7, that he also appeared to James. And James became a believer. Seeing your brother killed in front of you on a cross... And then resurrected and speaking to you will do that. Well, Not only does he become a believer, but he eventually becomes a leader in the church of Jerusalem. And he will eventually die for his faith as a martyr. What had happened was at the time, there was a high priest named Ananias. And Ananias uh, ended up taking over when the governor, Felix, died. Well, Ananias was a Sadducee, and Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. They didn't believe in a heaven or a hell. The old seminary joke is Sadducees were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in that stuff. I know, seminary professors should stick to theology, not comedy, but you get the point. Well, sure enough, Ananias had a trumped-up charges brought on James, and James was killed for his faith. So why do I mention that? Because I want you to know that if you are here today and you're still not sure about this Jesus stuff, if, you're, if you've got a little bit of a skeptic, if you've got more questions than answers, that's okay, because God's not done with you yet. Jesus' own brother was a skeptic. But keep coming, keep asking questions, God will provide some clarity for you. So hopefully, if you've got those passages in James chapter 3, I'm going to go ahead and read them, and then we're going to jump in to what James would have us say and believe and do related to our words. I mentioned to the kids that he first begins to talk about words in chapter 1, verse 19, but he comes back to it in chapter 3, and he says this, "...not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly." We all stumble in many ways. You may want to highlight that. That's one of my favorites. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. "'Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, "'but it makes great boasts. "'Consider what a great forest is set on fire "'by a small spark. "'The tongue also is a fire, "'a world of evil among the parts of the body. "'It corrupts the whole person, "'sets the whole course of his life on fire, "'and is itself set on fire by hell. "'All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, "'and creatures of the sea are being tamed "'and have been tamed by man.' But no man can tame the tongue. It is a relentless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Will you pray with me, God? This morning, we'll look at this passage, and it applies to all of us, because one thing we all do is we talk. And so, God, today, as we hear these words, may we be mindful of them, and mindful of not only the things we need to remember, but perhaps the things that we need to do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, before I get to the Part about words, I do want to hit a couple of points that, that got to be in there. And that first verse of chapter three is one, quite honestly, that haunts me as a person that attempts to teach the Word of God. Because it says right in there hey, not all of you should be doing this, you're going to be held to a higher calling. Well, what was happening there is, quite honestly, the church in Jerusalem was a little bit of a mess. There was a lot of new Christians who were coming in, and some people began to find that it was a great platform to stand up and talk about and pontificate on anything they wanted to, and so they would get up and do that, or they would twist Scripture to make it kind of fit their context. And so they began to make the church kind of a free-for-all, and James kind of gives them this warning, hey, not all of you should be doing that. You need to consider wisely if you're going to teach, if you're going to counsel, if you're going to preach from God's holy word. And so it's a great reminder for all of us who attempt to do that. But in verse two, he goes into something different that is actually, I believe, believe it or not, is one of my favorite verses because it applies to all of us. It's a verse lots of times I use when I do pre-marriage counseling or marriage counseling because look what it says, we all stumble in many ways. I thought for sure I'd get an amen on that, right? Is there nothing more true? Now, look what it doesn't say. It doesn't say we all stumble in some ways. It doesn't say some of us stumble in many ways. No, it's pretty inclusive of everybody. We all stumble in many ways. So is there any wonder why we have relationship problems? I stumble in many ways, I marry my wife, and guess what? She stumbles in many ways, and then we have these little people running around, and you know what? Even though they're cute, they stumble in many ways, so there's no wonder that there is friction within relationships, and whether it's in your home or whether it's in your work or whether it's at your school or whether it's in the church, we need to come together and, one, have more grace and peace and understanding and patience, understand that we all stumble. Well, what James will eventually do in chapter 4 is he comes back to look at this because what he'll say that we do, and we do do this, is that well, we'll say, well, I stumble in many ways, but I don't stumble as bad as he does. I don't stumble in those really bad ways as she does. And James says, no, we all stumble in many ways, And so these are just two little pointers for us to consider before we jump into the main text uh, starting down there. And that's really about our words. As I mentioned in chapter 1, verse 19, James says those words, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Now, I don't know about you, but it doesn't take me more than five minutes watching the news, going online on social media to go, we have totally flipped that around. Because in our culture, we're quick to get angry. We're quick to give you our opinion. And we are slow to to actually listen to one another. We are so fast in doing the others. And James is saying, you need to do the exact opposite. And here's how important it is. Did you know in your lifetime, the average person will say 860,341,000 Five hundred words—that's a lot of words. In fact, the average person speaks sixteen thousand words a day. And some of you are thinking, "Boy, my my spouse is really above average because they talk a whole lot more than that." Well, with all of those words that we say, a, a scripture that Jesus said really puts it to light when He said in Matthew twelve thirty six, "I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment." for every empty word they have spoken. Oh, I probably said some things this morning that I'm gonna have to be accountable for. I don't know about you, there's been some times in my life, I've gone through a season where I've called to shut up, Brian. You need to just shut up and just listen a little bit more. Because the words that we speak are so powerful. Powerful. You know, we need perhaps with Jesus' words to consider just being more attentive and listening. It reminds me of the story of the monk who went to a monastery. And at this monastery, you had to have a vow of silence. And you could only speak two words at the end of every year. And so the monk went, and for a whole year, he didn't say a word. And at the end of the first year, he goes before the head monk. And his two words were this, bed hard. Bed hard. Another year went by, he didn't say a word, but after that year, he went in front of the head monk and he got to say his two words, food, cold. Another year went by, and after the third year, he got in front of the head monk and he just said, I quit. And the head monk said, no wonder, all you've done is complain ever since you got here. You know, the words that we say are powerful and how they are laid out. And so today, I want us to to remember that words can truly change the direction of your life. Words speak worlds. I mean, think about the power of some of these words when a defendant stands in front of a judge and with one word, guilty, their life is changed. When a bride and groom nervously stand before each other and say two words, I do. The trajectory of their future is altered. When you go to the doctor and they say you're cancer free, the peace and joy that comes through those words. When a president says we're going to war, those words impact generations of families. And so today I would say to you to remember that words have weight. And what I mean by that is not every word is equally weighted. It's not as if you get to say five positive words. Well, great, I get to say five negative words because we all know those negative words, those sarcastic words, those biting words, they hold on to us a lot longer. You can be in front of a group. You can do something. You can have 100 people come through and say, hey, great job, and one person says that was horrible, and the majority of us fixate on that one person's words. So not only do words have weight, but the person who speaks them, they have weight. So today, if you are a person who's a leader, if you're in business as a manager, if you're a teacher, if by your position, you perhaps have more weight to your words because of that position. Moms, dads, grandparents, your words are weightier because of who you are, dads especially, I mean, if you don't believe me, think about this example. If you're walking down the street, a person comes up to you who you don't know, and they say, hey, you're no good. You're never going to amount to anything. All right? That probably will not sit with you. You probably won't carry that. Why? Because you don't know who that is. They don't mean anything to you. But some of us perhaps have heard those same exact words from a mom or a dad. That change the trajectory and feelings that when you look in the mirror, those words still hurt you. And so the weightiness of our words, not only are the words that are spoken, but also who they came from. I loved this illustration that Andy Stanley talked about. You remember, no, Charles Stanley, he died a couple of months ago. Well, shortly after he died, Andy Stanley, he put this tweet out. He said, these final few weeks with my dad have been precious beyond words. At the end of every visit, he asked me to pray with him, which, of course, I did. On my knees beside the big leather chair he was confined to for the past several months. But as I was leaving his house this past Saturday night, he asked if he could pray for me, as if he knew. Then, as was his habit, he said this to me, I couldn't be prouder of you, Andy. The source of a word determines its weight. Those were wonderfully weighty words. in his final words to me, I'll miss him every day until I see him again. The weight of our words. Words are so powerful that you can do damage or build somebody up and you don't even have to be in the same room. So the reach of our words goes beyond what we think because you can tear someone down and not even be in the same state as you talk about them. And so as we think about the reach of our words, we know that we carry some of these words with us well into adulthood, things that were perhaps said when we were teenagers, things that were said when we were children, but our words create worlds. It's interesting what James does here is in chapter one, I mentioned, he talks a little bit about words. Then in chapter two, he talks about the importance of working out your faith, kind of about doing. And then in chapter three, he goes back to, talking about words. And so it's as if James is showing us, hey, not only what you do says who you are and what you believe in, but what you say shows who you are and what you believe in. And I got to believe that he probably really got that from his brother Jesus, because Jesus said this in Matthew twelve thirty four: You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Isn't that so true? You know, I can figure out what's important to you the longer I'm around you. Because if you're talking about family all the time, I know that's important. If you're talking about your work, I know that's important. If you're talking about money, that's important. You eventually will reveal what is in your heart by what you talk about. James goes on and he kind of gives us three illustrations. He says, you know, the mouth, the tongue is like three things. It's like a bit, it's like a rudder, it's like a spark. Now, it's interesting, a bit you put into a horse's mouth and you can move that entire horse. And I remember when my daughter was 10, she's like 70 pounds. We did some riding lessons. You put her on that huge animal. But this little 70-pound 10-year-old could move that whole animal just with that small bit. Back then, during James' time, one of the biggest things that was built by human beings was ships. And so he makes that illustration. He says, you know, these big, huge ships, they get turned by this little thing. A rudder. And then he says, You know, a spark, just a little spark, can create a forest fire. And what he's showing within each of those illustrations is something that is so small can have a disproportionate amount of impact beyond what you could imagine. And he kind of says, And so it is with the tongue. Hey, did you know? I looked this up, did some research. The tongue, the average tongue is about four inches long and has eight muscles. And those muscles never tire out, right? You go for a run, you know what? Your legs get tired. You go lift some weights later today, your arms will get tired. You go work in your yard, your back gets tired. But you can talk and talk and talk and your tongue doesn't get tired. And so as we consider all of these things, James is saying the tongue can make some great boasts and it controls the direction and destiny of your life. It can corrupt the entire body. And again, I think, yeah, that's true. Because you know what? If a child talks back to you, you don't put the mouth in timeout. You put the whole child in timeout. Guys, if you say something kind of insensitive to your wife, your mouth doesn't go sleep on the couch. Your whole body goes sleeps on the couch. If you go to work and you get into it with your boss, it's not your tongue that is fired. It's the whole employee that is tired. And so we have all of these things within us and how we use our words. And as I said, I think right now in our culture, there's just this underlying anger that seems to be out there that people are so quick on social media or face-to-face to to just respond in anger. I like the wisdom of Abraham Lincoln, which I got to believe is a Believer himself, he probably got this from James chapter 1 about being um, slow to speak and quick to listen. Abraham Lincoln, as you know, was kind of known as kind of a calm presence, but he did have uh, times when he had a a little bit of a a temper. And what he would do when he was kind of upset at someone is he would sit down and he would write a letter, and these were termed his hot letters. He would kind of spell it all out with frustrations that he had there. And then what he would do is put them away and wait for a time of coolness before he dealt with the situation. Well, historians, after Lincoln was dead, went through his items, went through his office stuff, and they found these stacks of what they termed the hot letters. And at the bottom of every single one, it said, never signed and never sent. He even told his generals to do this. In fact, he had a secretary of war that was upset at one of the, the generals and he wanted to really give it to him. And Lincoln said, hey, write him a letter. The guy took two days to write the letter. He brought it to Lincoln. He says, I got that letter. I got it all here. And Lincoln said, great, go throw it in the trash can. The general, the, the secretary of war got upset. He's like, what do you mean? I poured two days into this. And he said, yeah, and it did you ever so good. Just throw it away. You see, sometimes when you get that email, when you get that, when you get that response or that text or where someone says something, before we're so quick to jump back and say something sarcastic or snarky or feel like, I'm hurt, I'm gonna hurt you more, I'm just saying, let's follow what the Bible says and wait and be slow to speak and slow to become angry. James goes on and Verse 8 and following, and he, he there, as I read earlier, says, you know, we can't have praising and cursing come out of the same mouth. And he says, you know, it's almost as if we're we're hypocrites to have both of these things. You can't do both. That that the mouth is kind of vile, it's disturbingly wrong. And what's crazy is as you saw is then he just stops. And then he goes on to another topic. And as I read that, I'm like, whoa, wait a minute, James you know, give me some pointers here. Give me a couple of tips or techniques of what I can do to, to not go down that path. But he doesn't. And, and I think it's because even as he says there, animals can be tamed, but your tongue can't be tamed. It's as if he's saying to us, you can't tame your tongue. You can only guard it. He doesn't say, hey, once you certain, hit a certain age, all the words you use are going to be wise. Once you've memorized a couple of Bible verses, everything you say is going to be on point. No, I think he's making the point that we can't tame our tongue, but so we have to guard it. And so I just want to mention three things that we need to do and before I close, and the first is we got to remember. You got to remember that you are a powerful person. You may not think it by your position or your status right now in life, but you're powerful because your words are powerful. And I use this analogy, are you a polluter or are you a purifier? You know what, when you see a a stack of uh, pollution out of a chimney coming out from a plant or something like that, or the Canadian wildfires, remember when they were happening a couple of weeks ago and you go outside and you couldn't see stuff because the whole air was polluted and they were like, it's code red day and everything like that. Well, you know what, there's some people who are kind of like that. You see them coming and you know you go, oh man, I'm going to leave this conversation drained. I'm going to leave this conversation feeling bad. I'm going to leave this conversation guarded. Well, I don't want to be one of those people. I don't want to be when I walk into a room, people go, oh, my gosh, here's Brian. And so are you a polluter? Are, are you prone to being negative and sarcastic and cynical? And for some of us, maybe that's more of a challenge because of, of the household we grew up in, and that was just the way the culture was there. But it's something that we got to work on. Or are you a purifier? Are you a polluter or are you a purifier? You know, During COVID, remember everybody's talking about air being purified and people go out and buy these little purifiers to take the air and make it better. Well, there are some people that just are purifiers. You talk to them and, and you are excited when you leave a conversation with them. You feel like you're pumped up with energy because they have a way of sincerely encouraging or giving wisdom or giving a point, or just being a listening ear. It's my hope and my prayer that I will be a purifier for the Lord. Secondly, not only do we remember, but secondly, we need to surrender. Again, as it said there, you're not going to tame the tongue. You can only guard it. So what does that mean? That means every day we surrender our tongue, our words to the Lord, The Bible says we're supposed to be a living sacrifice, our our body. And so what that looks like, and this may sound crazy to you, but I'm kind of a pragmatic person. Sometimes when I'm brushing my teeth and brushing my tongue, I'll use that time as just a prayer. God, whatever comes out of this mouth today, let it be something that edifies people and brings glory to you. What is it to remember to surrender ourselves to the Lord? Now, there are times where you got to have some tough conversations, and that's okay. But I think there's four questions when you enter a tough conversation you should ask yourself. First, is it true? When you're about to confront somebody about something, is it true? Secondly, is it loving? Am I saying this with a loving spirit? Third, is it helpful? Is it helpful for them to know this, to grow in this particular area? And fourth, is the timing right? Right? You know, if you have a no to any of those questions, I would say pray about it, think about it a little bit more before you engage because you could have some great stuff to say that is gospel truth, but if it's not said in love, it may not be received. Or if the timing isn't right, it may not be welcomed. Finally, we need to be a confessor. When we mess up, and we will, 16,000 words a day, you're going to say something that hurts someone or is taken the wrong way. But as a confessor, what that means is we say, I'm sorry. You get that? I'm sorry. Not like a political apology where I'm sorry if you took that wrong or I'm sorry if you misunderstand. No, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? That's what we do as believers. And actually, as we come to the table today Even though we just talked about words, we need to do those three things as we prepare for the table. We remember what Jesus has done for us. We surrender ourselves that we are following Jesus. We've made that confession that I am going to follow him. If you've made that, if you've said those words, I want to follow Jesus. I want to welcome you to the table today. Talk about the power of words and how they'll direct your future. If you said those words at some point in your life, I'm a sinner and I want to follow Jesus, that has changed the trajectory, not only of this life, but of your eternity. I'm going to have a word of prayer right now and ask those who are going to be helping with the bread to come forward. And in a moment, I'm going to uh, break this bread we're going to have two areas here: one on this side, and one over here. Over on this side are the kind of the gluten-free and and the kind of pre-packaged ones, if you'd prefer that. But after I uh, pray in just a moment, we're going to have you come forward, grab the bread, uh, grab the cup, and go back to your seat and just sit and perhaps think about some of the things that we talked about today, and make sure you spend some time remembering confessing and surrendering to the Lord as we prepare to take the Lord's table together. We're reminded even as we look at this bread that Jesus was a living sacrifice for us. And on the night that he was betrayed, he would take bread and he would break it and he would give it to his followers, his disciples. here is the gluten-free thesis. Let's pray together. We stand with me. God, we come together at this point in the service to remember and reflect on the sacrifice you gave for us. God, we also will remember the words that you spoke to the disciples on that night that we still remember to this very day, 2,000 plus years ago. God, as we come forward, though, we also want to surrender ourselves to what you've called us to do, both in our relationships and in our work and just who we are. And God, finally, we confess. We want to spend time reflecting and confessing perhaps any sins or any patterns or habits that have us at a distance with you. God, use this time within us as we prepare to take of this holy meal. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please come forward.